0: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is
1: available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at Capella.edu.
2: This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money,
1: the podcast that, well, loves the number five. Really? Yep. You'll have to wait and see what I mean by that. And when I say me, I mean Doc and I. I'm Scott Phillips and with me as always, the good doctor for 2021, our second Friday podcast, our third podcast, mate, we're on
3: fire. Welcome, Doc, how are you, buddy? I'm very good, Matt. How are you? Uh, happy New Year again, right? You know, I, I heard that we can keep saying Happy New Year until what, January 26th? Australia so. Day,
1: according to Kevin, who works with yeah. us. So we'll, we'll assume that's yeah. true. It's also so, to be fair, and again, lifting the curtain a little bit. Our first recording date of 2021, so we can genuinely, honestly, for the first time, actually say Happy New Year to each other and to our listeners because uh we did pre-record a couple of episodes just to get them out of the way. And mate, look, I'm not going to blow smoke, uh you know, at ourselves, but um suffice it to say, we got a few. Thank yous for doing some podcast episodes over the holidays. So, uh, thank you to those who, who took the time to say thanks. And hope, hopefully, it was good. Hopefully, it gave you something to do uh, in between cricket matches and uh, and other things, particularly with a short a short match recently. So, um, if you did enjoy it, we're, we're glad. If you didn't enjoy it, then our apologies ever. But uh, if you're still here, I assume you did. So, thank you to those who did who did uh, who did get in touch. And we we you know it's just one of those things. We could have taken a couple of weeks off, but we figured we wanted to keep the keep the podcast rolling, give our listeners something to listen to over the break. And uh, you know, if that if that means that we deserve five stars and who might so have you shouldn't jump on iTunes and give us five stars is all I'm saying doc is that fair
3: um, I, I think five stars is like the obvious thing to give there's no reason to give anything less than five stars I,
1: exactly and the only reason not to give more is because that's as many as you can give so you know I think that's fair Mate, exactly yeah.
3: we, we are deserving of ten stars out of five but okay we'll take five
1: <laughs> look if if Apple software can't handle ten stars that's their problem not ours five will have to do right
3: yeah, I totally agree with this. On this one, I'll agree that it's Apple's
1: point. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> unusual, mate, so I'll take it. Hey, uh, mate, look, we're coming back uh, to do a podcast in a week where, frankly, there's not all that much news, which is probably just as well because we're going to spend a little bit of time looking back, a little bit of time looking forward, and then one of our most anticipated episodes of the year, and I don't mean that only because there's only been three, but generally speaking, this is the one time of the year, so far at least, where we're going to hand out our top stocks for 2021 for the next... Five years, in fact. Um, but this is our 2021 edition. We've done two in the past, and I think all of them are beating in the market. All of them are positive territory or thereabouts. Um, pretty good strike rate so far, mate. Look, we've said before, and we'll say again, those uh, those five-stock samplers that we do, if we can use that phrase, David Gardner, our co-founder, uh, coined the phrase, so we'll run with it, five-stock samplers. Um, it's, you know, we don't ever say this is the only stock you should own, or it's even a representative portfolio. It's just a list of five stocks. We hope that together, and as you said, I think, last week or the week before. If you bought your five and my five, that's a pretty good diversified portfolio. But either way, um, we just want to be really, really clear. This is not the only five stocks you should buy or the only time you should buy them. But if you're looking for ideas, these will be our top uh, five or so stocks each, mate. So give our listeners something to start the new year, a bit of a, a New Year's gift for us. If you want to call it a bribe to keep listening, then we'll call it a bribe. That's us. That's up to our listeners. They can choose what label to give it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say bribe, but if that helps, then uh, hey, hang around, because we are giving you five free stocks. But in the meantime, mate, that's what we're going to do. And then we will get into the very, very, very full, I say it in most weeks, Motley Fool mailbag. A couple of weeks off means that we had lots of questions come in. And so we're going to get well and truly stuck into those in a big way. Shall we do it?
2: Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right. Now, mate, if we look back
1: at 2020, just quickly, we kind of did a little bit of this in the last couple of weeks, but... This is the first opportunity you and I have had to really have a chat since the numbers were in, since the results came home. Uh, I, I will say, this is a, a slight tangent, not a, not a big deal, but a bit of inside baseball. On the last day of the year, did you see the share price or the, the index graph on December 31? I did, did. Did you see the massive fall off after trade when all, the, when all the auction trades were closing? It was one of those weird things. We were, we were down about half a percent for the day and ended up down about one and a half percent, give or take by the time the closing auction had finished. Now, if you're listening to this, don't worry about the closing auction is, it's not a big deal, it's not a, not a huge issue. Um, I am talking about it, so that might, might belie my comment, but broadly what happens at the end of the day is trade, any outstanding orders kind of get matched off against each other as the market settles. That's the way the ASX runs the market. It's a little bit arcane and not really worth going to, except for the fact that every now and again, you do see these things move. And I got to say, mate, it strikes me, a whole lot of fund managers felt like they might've just been trying to clear the decks, getting rid of some stocks they didn't want to own, giving some people by the way a chance to buy some stuff a little bit cheaper than they might have otherwise but it was one of those scenarios I mean after market when the market falls 1% that's really really unusual yeah it's not a big deal no one needs to worry about it except that in this case I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is that one day fall was almost the result for the entire year in and of itself had, had the 31st of September been different the whole year's number would have been different almost by that amount I think Am I right in saying 2020 we were down about 1.5% for the All Lords, I think, from memory? And that was about the fall on December 31. So, you know, it was one of those scenarios where it doesn't matter. No, of course not. It's it's an arbitrary trip around the sun. Um, but in the event, it was just one of those strange things. And I, you look at that and think, hey, someone's doing something funny. Nothing, nothing illegal, nothing untoward. Just a lot of selling at the very last minute for people who wanted to close the books, maybe get some losers off the books, potentially, um, or otherwise do some funny things, so... Anyway, just one of, those, one of those things I thought was interesting. Do you have any thoughts on 2020, the year that was, mate, that we didn't kind of capture in the last couple of weeks?
3: Um, well, 2020 was a strange year, in my opinion, <laughs> in all sorts of ways. I don't, think, I don't uh, think
1: it has to be your opinion, mate. I think you, that's universally accepted. I think we can assume, As we can assume that's, uh, you, that's objectively true. <laughs> yeah,
3: so to 2020, to me, the biggest thing, I think, was um, the, the the extent of the fall, the extent of the rise... And and sort of the delineation between you know sort of digital and non digital companies, mm. uh, some of this I guess is expected. And uh, uh, if I had to say one thing, I think what what took me by surprise in twenty twenty is, uh, I guess to some extent, how much government policy can impact um, mm. behavior. I think uh, I think. You know, now what we know is how it has impacted behavior in the short term. What we probably don't know is how this is going to shake out over the long term, right? And, and I think that's the open question in my mind. So I, I think that is, uh, is I think, super surprising. Like, mm-hmm. the, the super surprising, I think, aspect is, uh, it's just, I think, it's maybe it's not surprising. or Maybe it's just human behavior, right? The society has been trained to spend every bit of the funds that they've got, right? And and when the society much hope to
1: be fair, but we certainly haven't been. We haven't been. We haven't exactly been taught not to put it that way. (laughs)
3: Yeah, we've not been taught not to, and then we have all sorts of mechanisms, you know, including buy now pay later, which is which just takes it to another totally another level, right? Yeah. with the government is just equally complicit in that. The you know, government even <laughs> said that uh, you could take the, your super out and actually spend it. So, uh, I mean, it, it is at various levels. But if you extend that, I mean, what is surprising is I would have thought that, you know, retail furniture businesses, for example, would not be doing well. <laughs> oh, no, that's, now, that was so, amazing, so, hey? So some of them are having like some fantastic reports. Now, of oh, course, oh. the year-on-year compare for the next year is going to be really bad. Nothing has fundamentally changed for these businesses long-term, right? I mean, these things cannot be growing at 20% long-term right? because they just can't, right? Right, right? It is just not possible. It is not going to happen. Nothing has fundamentally changed about the quality of the business or the business opportunity or the TAM. It's a totally addressable market. Yet, here we are.
2: Here we
0: are.
3: With this, <laughs> exactly. here, with yet, here we are with this yep. massive... Uh, you know, profit upgrades <laughs> that we are seeing, and you know, massive dividend payouts mm-hmm. and things like that. Right. So, I think that, in my mind, is interesting, surprise, maybe not surprising, yeah. but interesting. And how this shakes out is 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 a question mark. I think uh, I would have expected our banks to be under further more duress than, and mm-hmm. they're actually really under no duress, um, which I thought is surprising. And I would have expected a lot of softness in, uh, you know, property prices, which I did not see again, which I think is surprising. Um, You know, none of this changes my view about those things. Mm. Uh, It just teaches me that, you know, uh, in many ways, things can continue as is for a long time uh, without maybe in some cases, rational footing, right? but. You know that's the reality, and I think that that's something that you need to factor into your investing, because you you could be rational, but you know your rational thinking process uh, may in some cases preclude you from taking some actions, and in some cases exclude you from taking some actions, and you need to be careful that the world is maybe not one hundred percent rational, right? So that so when you're investing, I think my big investment takeaway. I'm sorry, I'm being roundabout. Is I think in investing too. And, and I hate saying this, <laughs> but in <laughs> investing too, stories actually matter. Mm-hmm. As much as I would like stories to not matter and you know future cash flows to matter, but the stories, you know, future cash flows to some extent defined in businesses valuation, but those future cash flows are expectations of investors, which in turn are expectations of the stories they have, which wow. in turn, therefore, sentiment matters a lot more than what one would think, at least in the short term for sure, Mm -hmm. possibly even on the medium term right now over the long term we do know that you know at least there's a lot of data points that i can point to which says that profits or just you know gross profits over time or revenue over time should track share price movements but you know, I mean, you need to be able to grow the revenue to actually have profits grow, which in turn is going to therefore drive returns, right? So you you think long term that is true, but man, in the short term it can be actually tough <laughs> because there's a lot of these other factors that are play. You now, again, this you know you just going to be sanguine about it, and need to consider it to some extent and you know exclude it when possible, include it when possible.
1: I love that, mate. I, I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna echo that actually to some degree, and I'll I'll draw in Andrew Leggett, one of our colleagues who has. Uh who has been in this podcast before, we'll have it again in 2021. Hopefully remind me of that because uh, hopefully when we're all back in that week, I should say too, by the way, we're not in the same room again because uh, Greater Sydney has a mask mandate. We just thought it was more appropriate given that you and I are in different parts of the city um, that we uh, we do this remotely. So hence, if the if the audio is a little different to normal, that's why. Um, not that abnormal. It's been the story of much of 2020 off and on and we're starting 2021 in the same vein. Um, but Andrew Lega has talked about uh, in the past, you know, invest invest the way the world is, not the way you wish it was. The way you wish it was. And I think more broadly, I'd wrap that up. I think your point too is is really valid on both levels, right? It's the the idea and the sentiment, the emotions, the expectations of investors and consumers, and then businesses and governments that go with it. And as you say, I think I'd probably just broaden your point from from my perspective and just say that not only the stories matter to investors; they arguably matter more to the rest of the to rest of the physical economy on which the investor returns or at least the investor profits hinge. Um, as you say, the the amount not only the fact that not only the the impact of government stimulus and and and, uh, and and kind of money spent that you talked about at the beginning, but also the size of that. I don't think anyone, you know, the, the, I mean, 2020 was a strange year, as you say. I wasn't surprised the government did something. I At the time, they, I think their first stimulus was 1.6 billion or something or whatever the number was. And I thought, oh, that's not quite enough, guys. You gotta do something more. By the end of the year, they'd spent well over $100 billion in stimulus to kind of keep this afloat. Actually, I shouldn't say by the end of the year, I think that includes JobKeeper that goes into March. So maybe it's not the, just in the 2020 year, but in any case, $100 billion, hey, if it's if it's, if it's $10 billion here or there, it's one of those things, right? I think that, that story of not only the fact that markets and, and the economy was subject to the actions of government, but those actions were so significant and in historical terms, so incredibly swift. Um, I think are, are really, really important ones. I think that's probably worth having a think about from an investing perspective. I like that idea a lot. Um, I, w- I will say, too, I think it's, it was fascinating to see the, the, the flow of money. You mentioned furniture retailers. I think that's bang on. Um, the, the, the way the economy kind of flexed and moved during that period of time... Uh, we know household saving has gone through the roof. We know people spent a lot of money, which presumably would have been spent on holidays, international and domestic, buying home furnishings and going to Bunnings and shopping online and all those things that we ended up doing because, and as you say, part of the reality was national income actually didn't fall during 2020, if you can believe that. Um, GDP fell, yes, but the money we earned because of that government stimulus, effectively borrowing from the future, um, that that you know the income didn't fall. And so to the extent we had a recession, to the extent that economic activity fell, to the extent the government had to do something or felt they had to do something and did it, um, it's almost a bit of Clayton's recession. Man. I don't know if, you, if you, know the, do you remember. Do you know Clayton's? Um, it, was, it was the, and, and I think it was non-alcoholic or low-alcohol. It was supposed to be the, you know, the, the drink you have having not having a drink was the idea. We kind of had this recession we have when we're not having a recession because technically it was. And for individual people, some people listening, by the way, uh, retail workers, flight attendants, pilots, um, tourism operators. I mean, a heap of people are listening and are out of work. So I don't want to pretend nothing happened in the economy, but overall at a national level. Things kind of, you know, that that government stimulus, the government response was probably the determining, defining factor of 2020.
3: Yeah, I I think I agree. Like, I I mean, you know, as you rightly pointed out, there are people who, you know, are without jobs and are hurting. Then there are people Mm. who, you know, are actually okay. There are people actually who are doing better than one would expect because, you know, essentially funds have been diverted, right? Mm. I, I think the point I want to point out to people is I think what right now, the economy is as fake as it gets <laughs> in many ways,
0: <laughs> right? So this
3: is a, so. In other words, you know, you need to realize that you're in a fake economy, um, and this fake economy cannot last for a long time. So therefore, well, you need I'm to be prepared. I'm
1: disagreeing with you, though, mate. I think that's that's isn't isn't that the lesson of 2020? I think assuming it's going to finish or betting on it finishing I think is that not the the lesson to take from 2020 that it, you know it hasn't has it always been fake because there's always been government money sloshing around no, no, the automatic no, stabilizers no. of canes have always been in place isn't, no, isn't so I, so,
3: no so I'm not talking about that part no what I mean right. is I, I, I think you can't so I think the government stabilizers are I mean there's there's a so I think that is that remains to be seen what happens right so the QE every government can do is doing QE Right, mm-hmm. so in other words, then effectively, your um, there is a natural you know, the path to zero interest rate basically means that effectively, a currency is going to show mm. um, you know, the currency relative to say the dollar or something else, exchange rate is basically going to reflect everything else, right, to some right. extent. Right. Um, it's also going to then show in your competitiveness relative to other countries it, mm-hmm. it, effectively there's no way to hide from it right I mean' it's, it's a, it's a it's a battle that we are fighting but it is going to manifest itself in some way or the other right uh, so that, that's one so, so I'm not so con- not saying not talking fake in that point what well, my, my yeah. point is like it's fake in that point that it, people today are spending extra cash say mm-hmm. buying furnitures
0: right <laughs> yeah. So if
3: I bought a, buy a lounge today I am not going to be buying a lounge in the next 10 years. Yes, exactly. right. Even if you pay me money, I'm not going to buy a lounge because it, it, it is painful. <laughs> right. Because it's exactly. it, it's painful to get the lounge in and get throw the previous yeah. lounge out yeah. and yeah. pay yeah. the tip money or pay the council <laughs> to come and get it. Right. I mean, there is a natural evolution in that process which says, well, once something has happened, so you basically put forward some spending. Those things are not going to be, you know, those things are not going to see this money. So that's why I say fake. And the fake is Fair. like airline travel is never going to be zero. Mm-hmm. and furniture travel furniture yeah. expense growth <laughs> right, is, is not yeah. going to be 25 yeah, yeah, percent yeah. so that's what I say fake and that yeah. so I think we need to just realize about the fake <laughs> and the government intervention I think is always going to be there it's always right, been right, there right. E, okay. you know that's the whole point of government right the intervention, right yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so, I think you're that makes sense uh, yeah so that's what I mean by fake just to clarify and so
1: okay so let, let's let's uh, that's a bit enough of 2020 we've done with that now we'll, we'll consign it to the dust bit of history except of course the conditions that that borders 2020 the conditions that we've ended 2020 with are the conditions we start 2021 with um i've heard of, i think i might have called it myself 2020 the sequel um other people have said you know there's a little bit of 2020 still still giving uh because we have still got um, massive outbreaks of covid around most of the world there are of course small outbreaks here uh rates are as you say at or, or near zero below zero in some cases bond yields continue to be low i mean we the economic circumstances we finished 2020 with other ones we're in now so i guess that lend that leads to the next question i know you're not a big macro guy mate you're Said as much before, but if you think about let's about investing in 2021 without going to specifics just yet, we will do that in a second. Don't worry, listeners. we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but without going to specifics just yet, mate, how, how does how does 2021 strike you as we start the year as an environment for investing or for investors or for company selection or for um, company profitability or whatever whatever angle you want to just at a broadly I won't say macro because I don't purely macro, but for you know, as an investor. Uh, which maybe it's sentiment, maybe it's reality, maybe it's cash, maybe it's rates, whatever it is. As you start to think about 2021 and putting money to work or maybe selling shares or a bit of both, what's kind of, you know, what's on top of your mind as we start the new year from an investing lens?
3: Yeah, so like I continue investing, like, you know, like I invest slightly maybe differently or maybe similar to other people. Like I invest basically when I have some cash that needs to be deployed, I basically find what ideas I like at that point if I already don't own it and it's not overweight, then I will add to something that I like. If it's overweight, then I'm going to add to something that I have less of. Okay. Um, and that's that's really what I do. And in terms of, I haven't really changed my investing because again, I think as I like, I like, I like to say, I like to think forward and like to think what things are going to have big impact on mm-hmm. people's lives, right? And stuff that has generally has big impact on people's lives, transformative impact generally deliver, you know, again, not everything would, but, you know, on average, they will deliver big returns. That's what, what mm-hmm. tends to happen. So I tend to look for those uh, disruptive technologies, ideas that I think are going to move humanity forward, right? So that that's, and I think nothing has changed. If anything, I would say that 2020 has, you uh, you know, 2020 is a bad year, but at the same time, 2020 was a great year for a few things. Twenty twenty one was a great year for people to realize the importance of digitization and the importance technology is gonna play in the future, right? So that's number one. 2020, I think was a great year for biotechnology as well, right? So I think 20, like, if you think about the rate at which, the speed with which, People have gone about creating vaccines and the vaccine technology eh? and the vaccine technology platforms. I think we made probably a decade's worth worth of progress in a year, right? So, so you could say that you know all these people that have died from COVID, they basically became martyrs for, Mm. in a way, in not in a bad way, like you know they became martyrs to actually enable the next gen of technology, that's going to actually save a lot of lives. So I think that that is very powerful in its way. So, I, you know, while it was bad in so many different ways, so much distress, I think those were the two things that stand out. I think the the pace with which biotechnology did things and the pace with which technology did things. And I think that if, if I may say the third point, my third point might be is where technology, biotechnology meets um, Technology or digital technology and I think delivers uh, Mm, mm. you know something for humanity so you know think about telehealth for example I think those are where I think some of the biggest biggest opportunities are going to be so the biggest opportunities are going to be in areas in old areas where technology is going to come in and completely disrupt those areas so I think that's how I look at 2021 and I think 2021 or the the decade uh, Mm. that's starting now
1: Fascinating Matt um I did ask. I, I was going general and ask for specifics. you give me a couple already, which is which is awesome. So, uh, if, just, I want to take you back a little bit to the, the you know the decade of improvement in, in a year, that kind of stuff. Um, I think I've said before, Toby Lukey, the CEO of Shopify, said that effectively they're putting the year 2030 plans into place now, or last year now, 2020, um, that it brought their plans forward a decade. We know that e commerce penetration, according to McKinsey, effectively, it was a double, I want to say, from 15% to 30%, give or take in round numbers. And yeah, something free, like, like 10%. March, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in March, right? From January to March, let alone the rest of the year. I haven't seen updated numbers. I'm sure they've released them. But you think if it was there by March, things didn't get exactly better on a, on a retail e-commerce perspective over, the, over the, the remaining nine months of the year. So you can assume that probably went up, if not if not flatlined. Um, it, you know, it, it, there was a meaningful change. Again, I don't want to spend too much time on 2020, but there is a meaningful sense that, as you say, while we won't see replications of either no flights or, you know, doubling in sales growth in online retail... There is, there is still some, some meaningful change about digitization. I think that's probably wrapped up in that one. You mentioned biotech. Um, when, when it comes to kind of starting 2021 on a new footing, is there anything, uh, you talking about increasing the trends and I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you get away with that one, but I, I, I'll ask again for the fun of it. Anything that changed in your view, anything kind of that, that, that became a thing? So we know digitization and, and biotech were already happening. They're probably accelerated meaningfully. That's a huge thing we need to be mindful of. I'm not dismissing that for a second. I'm just asking as well as that. Anything that kind of jumped out at you as a twenty twenty was a was a marker year for it in, in a good or a bad way that as you enter twenty twenty one you're like, Oh man, I want to get more of that, or I'm not gonna invest in that anymore, or this industry is right for disruption, or this one's being disrupted, or this one's over. Any any kind of big bigger picture kind of stories outside digitization and biotech?
3: Well I, I think a couple of things I think so so this is my my view um you know, you know maybe if I had to make a bet I would make this bet so this is mm, so I think one of the things that people I think are underrating right mm. now is the potential improvement in travel right yeah, so right. so I think people are not I think are underestimating how much pent-up demand there is for travel
2: yeah, yeah.
3: Um, and I think what I think most analysts would say well we expect business travel to be first. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take the other side and say, actually I expect less business travel because because businesses have figured out the technology can actually deliver most of the <laughs> yeah, stuff that right. they need to deliver. Yeah,
0: yeah, and businesses,
3: yeah. at least smart businesses tend to be really smart about spending money. Right. Um, so uh, <laughs> y- you know the, the consumers tend to be more gullible, right? So, so so the thing that consumers are going to be traveling, <laughs> Yep. more than businesses i don't know what that does for airlines for example because this is bad for airlines right if you have mm-hmm. consumers traveling and less business travel where, where do you make money so All so there's some the interesting qu- yeah yep. yeah so if you can't fill the pointy end of the plane mm-hmm. or you don't have enough for the pointy on the plane what's going to happen so i think that's an interesting question to in my mind and i think you know a related question is how are airlines going to adapt to that environment, right? Yeah, so maybe they will be looking for more, uh, you know, retired people to maybe mm. <laughs> travel in the pointy end of the plane. Maybe there'll be more <laughs> deals for the pointy end of the plane. I don't know. But th- those are some of the things that I'm thinking about.
1: Fascinating, man. I like that a lot. Um, I don't have much different to add to, uh, on that sort of broad idea looking forward. I think, I, I think it's worth thinking about the I think it's worth thinking, so I'll take the other side of this conversation, mate, just for the sake of being different. I think it's worth thinking about the businesses that are maybe in more structural peril than they were 12 months ago. Um, and not even, and again, not, it's really important to distinguish between temporary and permanent problems, right? We've said this many times over the last year on the podcast, but as you rightly say, assuming airlines are where travel is dead um, is, a, is a terrible mistake. Assuming that um, you know online retail can continue to grow 100% is an equally silly mistake. But in between there, there's something I think around... The, the sort of long-term damage, if you like, and, and I don't want to draw health illusions. I'm tempted to kind of draw, you know, the, the COVID, the, there's there's deaths and then there's long-term injury and illness. And I, don't, I think it's probably a, a reasonably tasteless con- uh, thing to draw, but there's an analogy there somewhere, which is there are businesses that have been not killed off by COVID, but probably permanently impaired. And I think, I, I'm going to say, particularly um, shopping centers in particular, or one that I've been, you know, convicted on, we, we all knew that online commerce was going to eventually be much, much bigger. Uh, and, physical retail by definition was gonna be much smaller, or at least meaningfully smaller, maybe not much because over time, maybe all the growth happens in online retail and, and physical retail just kind of sits pat. Um, we've seen plenty of that before. You just, a lack of growth means their share falls as a percentage, but doesn't necessarily fall in aggregate terms. I think though, that being said, I don't expect retail shopping centers particularly to recover meaningful from this stock and maybe not even REITs in general. REITs being real estate investment trusts. We talked about these before, but I just think, uh, funnily enough, actually, it was one of those side of the times. I see the news today that the Epic Games business is buying a shopping centre to re-outfit as its, as its corporate head office. Did you see that?
3: <laughs> I, I didn't that see it. Point. That sounds fascinating.
1: <laughs> so you kind of think, and look, maybe maybe that's the future of reits. I don't know, um, but they're, you know, they're, well, they're buying it for a start, so it's no longer be a reit. They're going to buy the business outright or the building outright. I should say it's probably not a big one. I don't assume, but in any case, you get a sense of kind of the end of. Mid-tier in particular Shopping centres said before I think neighbourhood shopping centres Survive for a while Because You're going to dug up to Woolies You're going to grab your milk And you're going to grab a coffee And you're going to You know Maybe do some browsing There's a role for that At some way shape or form For the foreseeable future The biggest of the big Maybe the Westfields Survive to some degree Because of the destination shops You're on a day out At the shops You probably go out to A big iconic shopping centre And go with Maybe your friends Maybe you know uh, Whoever Your partner Whatever you're going to do Maybe you see a movie Although that's also <laughs> Something I was going to mention as well Um But that mid-tier retail that just relies on foot traffic and all that kind of stuff, you you can't have online commerce penetration improve meaningfully and markedly and probably um, continuing to increase at a slow rate, of course, but continuing to increase and hope to have all those retail, physical retail outlets survive. So I'm super bearish on that over the long term. Again, I don't make any short-term predictions. I don't know what happens and how long it takes, but um, I'd happily take the, the under on REITs outperforming over the next 10 years. I think, as I mentioned too, um, the, the changes that have been forced, or, or you know, there's an old saying don't waste a crisis. Movie studios, I used to work for a movie studio in a, in a past life, um, they've been waiting forever to find a way to take control of movies away from the movie theaters, but they kind of felt like they had no choice. Because you need the big blockbuster release, the red carpet event. We've seen Disney and Warner Brothers this year, or again, sorry, last year <laughs> alone, say, yeah, we're going to do things differently this year. It's given them the excuse that, that maybe maybe they did the Dutch courage, maybe they just wanted to have an excuse so they could explain to their partners why they had to do it. They didn't have a choice. Um, but in any case, they've they've meaningfully changed distribution and consumption of movies. I movie theaters aren't dead. They'll be the big action flicks, the date date night flicks. They'll be around to some degree. But you've got to assume there's going to be many, many less of those in five years' time than there are today as well. So they're the two big ones that if you're thinking about these kind of businesses, um, as, you, as you say, Doc, some will bounce back and there are going to be buying opportunities in some of these underloved, unloved businesses like potentially travel maybe. You might argue that. You might argue some others that have been badly hit. Uh, but there's also some that, frankly, are cheap for good reason, which is COVID has hastened their decline. It's not just a temporary blip on the radar. Is that
2: fair to say? I think so. Motley Fool Money. <laughs> Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now it's time to unveil
1: our top five stocks. And I will say for 2021, but I want to be super clear. These are not 12-month predictions. These are stocks we're picking in 2021 with a five-year horizon at least for the businesses that we expect will be long-term market outperformers now we've been pretty fortunate mate uh, maybe a little bit clever but pretty fortunate as well that the past couple of years we've done reasonably well with our stock picks so even though they were picked for long periods of time one and two year returns are nice to have we'll take them uh but we weren't promising them we weren't predicting them we certainly were not expecting them necessarily happy to have them weren't, weren't expecting them uh that being said uh and, and with that preamble let's go to our top five stocks for 2021 now i'm gonna say from my list mate there's gonna be a bit of a uh, a bit of bit of the same bit different so let, let's uh let's get stuck into our top stocks for 2021 would you like to go first man or do you want me to go first
3: i i'm gonna say you go first that way i get to see what <laughs> picks you're making and change oh my here economy.
1: we go you're know, still my best <laughs> ideas all right well just uh, but just be warned if you don't if you don't pick the ideas that do well, you had no excuse because I went first. All right. Yeah. So uh, with, <laughs> with that meaningful disadvantage out of the way, we go, no, I was going to say we should go one for one. That'll confuse people. Uh, let's go through our top five stocks. Some of these will be very familiar names. Some will be well, actually, they'll all be familiar names. I um I've I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat up front, doc. I'm gonna go with five, so uh, six. So I'll go i go with five. Like the bonus one, and we'll see how we go from that perspective and see what what comes of that. Um, the the first one I'm going to go with I'm going to go in alphabetical order because I like to do that. The first one I'm gonna go with is uh, the big daddy of them all. We just talked about online commerce, we saw all that kind of good stuff. I'm gonna go with Amazon. I think amazon.com is still the preeminent large business with most optionality, I think, in the world. Um, That's certainly a title that can be up for meaningful disagreement, but I think Amazon has a business between its retail business, its, its cloud computing business, and frankly, anything it wants to turn its mind to, I think is a really, really large and attractive business with plenty of opportunities still left to run. Um, as we've said before, mate, the Amazon Web Services business, the cloud computing, cloud storage business, meaningfully underappreciated by many people, particularly retail investors who don't recognize I don't think the value there. Although I also don't want to underplay the retail business. I actually, think, I think retail investors under, underdo the Amazon Web Services business. I think professional investors underdo the retail business. I think it's kind of too pedestrian for some of them. They want it to be more complex. I think both together is a really, really attractive business. And what I like most about Amazon, mate, despite all of those things, though, without them, that's probably not worth recommending, is Jeff Bezos' Super long term commitment to driving value for shareholders through just creating great customer outcomes. Amazon wants to be, has always wanted to be the most customer centric business in the world. And I think whether or not it gets to that point, that approach and the ability to take long term, um, to follow long term thinking, if you ever get a chance, look up or Google Amazon Day One. Uh, Jeff Bezos uh, wrote a famous shareholder letter uh, basically saying it's always day one they're always trying to beat what's going on they're always trying to do better Um, really really well-run company really customer-centric business arguably people don't like the impact on other retailers plenty of people don't like the impact on its employees and I I have I share some of those concerns Uh, I'm a shareholder by the way and I think Amazon is a long-term market beater so Amazon's my number one doc my number two is Australian Ethical. This is a business we've talked about before, and I've made the point before, you don't have to be an ethical investor to like Australian Ethical The business. Uh, I'm not an ethical investor, not because I hate it, just because I don't think there's a lot of value in it, but I like Australian Ethical for long-term outperformance. If you believe, as I do, that the share market continues to go up over time, then a fund manager generally should be positively leveraged to that. So if the fund manager does even meaningfully, you know, decently well, they should outperform almost by definition, because they're, they're leveraged to fund value as long as they do, you know, okay, don't don't lose funds. But over time, you should expect funds to grow and the market to grow. And if you're clipping the ticket on both those things, a fund manager should do well. If you have a smallish business, positively leveraged to the trends that are going to, I think, change investor behavior over the next decade and beyond, i.e. ethical investing, I think that makes you doubly exposed to good times. I don't think Australian ethical has necessarily got a market smashing potential. It's not gonna be up, up a million percent anytime soon, although if it gets some big mandates, it could potentially but you don't need it to do that. I think slow and steady outperformance over time is what I'm expecting from Australian Ethical and AEF is the code on that one. Amazon, A-Z-M-N, by the way. A-M-Z-N, so I should say, by the way. I uh, own both those companies. You'll, be, you'll get a, um, a theme from most of the businesses I'm talking about today. The third one, Doc, is Kogan. Yes, I think it's a three-peat for me. I think it was in my last two years worth of uh, recommendation, I'm going that way again and again, I own the shares. I think Kogan is a really great business. I think despite Doc's absolutely prescient comments about the fact that online commerce can't grow at the same rates next year or this year as it did last year, I think Kogan is taking share in a relatively stable, stagnant-ish category, but taking share meaningfully, more than two million people on its database now in Australia, which is just phenomenal. Now, if you're a total addressable market kind of guy, which Doc is, and I am to some degree, um, there's less of that left because they've already captured 2 million addresses that's a that's a pretty good start uh, but I think there's lots more opportunity there for Kogan to continue to I'll say milk I don't mean milk in a in a, an aggressive way or, or in, a, uh, in a detrimental way but milk the database to get more and more people to spend more and more money and I think there's a very long runway of that to go with Kogan and if anything mate after the vaccine news shares dropped about a third which I think was a massive overreaction and that gives us an opportunity to go and buy some shares of Kogan at a pretty attractive price I own shares I won't be buying them personally for the record because, um, <coughs> excuse me, I own a decent chunk of them uh, and they've gone up reasonably well since I bought them. So I'm not buying some more personally, just for full disclosure, but I think if you don't own enough of them already, it's a great company to buy at the current price. That's three out of five, mate. I'll go to my next one. And this one is going to be one we've talked about before, and I'm finally going to pull the. the stock pick trigger on this one and is one of your favorites or at least one we've talked about before. And it is Mercado Libre M-E-L-I is the code on the, I think it's NASDAQ, Doc? Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mercado Libre is the, well, it's kind of a combination of, I hate when I say the Amazon of something, it feels like it's almost a lazy way to describe it. Like it's somehow enough that, you know, all you say is, oh, it's the Amazon of this. It's like, oh, obviously you should buy it then. I don't want to ever want to do that or ever be accused of doing that, but it does a combination of what Amazon does in the US and most of the Western world, plus a bit of what PayPal does. Uh, with its own Mercado Pago um, payment system, so a good combination of both. It has got massive amounts of long-term growth potential as a business. Uh, it's a business I should have owned. We've talked about this before, mate, many times. I should have owned this years ago. I still don't own it, which is much to my own chagrin. And again, uh, I'm now locked out for another two days from buying the shares, or at least no more than that, actually. We're recording this on Wednesday, so I can't buy these until at least next Wednesday. So I'm out for a week. Uh, but Mercado Libre, I think, is a, a really great, well-run business. Super responsive management team, both to shareholders and to the broader marketplace. It's going to be bumpy. They've got currency issues. They've got uh, sovereign issues working working in South America, not the most stable political uh, continent, to be fair, but a really good long-term potential. I think it's really only at the very early days of of being successful there. So Mercado Libre is my fourth one. And I'll go with a fifth doc and I'm going to go back to the well. I think, and I've said this before and I was wrong last year, but I think I'll be right this year at least for the next five years. My last company is Treasury Wine Estates. I own the shares. Again, Um, I've been wrong at least over the last 12 months because the shares are down on the back of China. If you talk about bounce-back opportunities, you talk about undervalued, underappreciated opportunities. Um, Doc, I think you disagree about this one, so it'd be interesting to have your comments. But I think Treasury is going to sell more wines in China and the rest of Asia in the next 10 years than it has in the past. And if that's true, when the market realises that the storm is currently only in a teacup and not a permanent, uh, ongoing cascade of bad news, I think the shares will go up and I think the sales and profits will go up accordingly. I think Treasury, therefore, will probably beat the market over the next five years. In fact, I expect it to be over the next three to five years, uh, but we're doing a five-year horizon here. So I'll say over the next five years, Treasury, Wine Estates, TWE, I'm pretty sure is a good chance of beating the market. No guarantees, as always, and I'll be wrong about at least one of these stocks, maybe more. So uh, we'll have a look in 12 months' time, mate, and see which ones I'm right and wrong about. I did promise a six stock. So this is not a formal recommendation. I will hold myself to the five, but a bonus one is Shopify, S H O P is the code. Um, we talked about Shopify a little bit earlier. It's hard to, I, I, I couldn't, I, I don't feel strongly enough to make it one of the five, but I also didn't want to leave it out because it's been such a beneficiary. And again, I, I like Toby Luke as a CEO, a big fan of, of great management, great leadership. And so Shopify is not going to be one of our, our, our five. I won't track it as part of the returns. We might talk about it from time to time, but I'm not going to claim it either way. Uh, if it's good or bad, I'm not going to include it in my returns. So let's be really, really clear up front. But I think Shopify, if you're looking for a sixth idea, uh, I wanted to cut kind of throw three uh, ASX and three US. So Shopify was my third US stock. That's one I don't own, by the way. And I'm, again, horribly, horribly, uh, I don't know. Uh, don't don't tell my wife, but uh, we don't own that one either. And we probably should have before now. It's cost us a fortune by missing that one. So there they go. So Amazon, Australian Ethical, Kogan, Mercado Libre, and Treasury Wine Estates. All right, Doc, that's my five let rip with your five stocks for 2021 for the next five years and beyond.
3: Okay, so I own Amazon and Mercado Libre. I think I was going to actually pick Mercado Libre, then I changed my okay. mind.
1: Oh, um, okay.
3: Well, are you sure? <laughs> let me talk you out of it. And it no, goes no, well no, from no, here. No, don't no, don't no, blame no, me. no, no. No, 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 no. Um, um, You know, yep. I own I've owned Macado Libre for maybe now eight, nine, maybe yeah, ten don't years rub even. It. No, rub um, it.
1: Yeah,
3: not has been Yes, but a fantastic <laughs> company to own. Uh, yep. I don't know how many how many times it has bagged. Yeah, I, I call Macado Libre my <laughs> add on the dips when, when 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 you know the stock price basically drops. I basically add some um, uh, Macado Libre. So it's, it's yeah, a fantastic company to own. Um, I own Amazon too, uh, off of your list. Okay, uh-huh. so my list I'm going to again do. I actually changed mine to alphabetical. i tried to at least. Uh, hopefully got right. <laughs> so I'm going to go with four international and one ASX uh, oh, okay. as my combo. Uh, the ASX stock I'm picking is Big Tin Can. The code is nice. BTH. Uh, this is the sales enablement software provider, it's a software as a service company. Um, basically, what they do is they provide software that you know you add to your phones and tablets that it, you know, the salespeople people in the field uh, use, it helps them produce reports, it helps them to be more efficient, it helps them to essentially close deals. Um, I think this is going to be an important component um, of sales going forward. And um, and I think there's a big enough market Options this is a company that's growing pretty quickly off a very small base. It's a small, very small company. Um, so it's risky, but mm. I think it's growing at, you know, decently at about, you know, maybe organically about 35, 40%, and it's adding another maybe 10% or so from uh, from acquisitions. And most of the acquisitions tend to be small. So I like this company. I think the valuation right now looks really good. Um, so I think it's a company worth considering. Uh, so that's BTH, Big Tin Can. Nice, the, the next company that I'm going to talk about, many people probably haven't heard of it, although the multiple has recently expanded. Uh, if I have to say, this is one of my favorite companies right now. So it basically means that I'm not going to be adding to it because I'm going to talk about it, but it's a company that I have been actively trying to increase my position in. Um, that's a company called Cloudflare, and the code Cloudflare, is okay. N-E-T. Um, and what is interesting about this company is this is a bit it's 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 a networking company and at the same time a cloud infrastructure company. So at a very high level, what they do is they have built a network that spans essentially the whole world, and they've got endpoints of this network that's pretty close to most human users in the world, hmm. and they run basically what is called a serverless platform on their network. And the idea is that you can then offload your applications to their edge networking points. Now that might sound a lot like Amazon Web Services, except for the difference. Web Services means you are doing stuff, heavy-duty computations at the core of the of the of the internet. There are yep. a few other points. You know, you don't you don't replicate them across so many different yeah. points. So
1: you bring everything this in, is, you do the work, and you push it back out again.
3: You push it back. This is basically edge computing, bringing logic, essentially as close as possible, logic and data as close as possible to the end user. So this is basically Amazon style web computing, except Mm. it's for the edge. But that's not just what they do. They're basically a security company. So, you know, they're also a DNS company. Companies like Wikipedia, for example, sit behind their platform. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're one of the most common companies to use if you're being attacked. If you're being attacked by hackers, uh, by denial of service um, attackers and, you know, the, essentially the bad guys, you want to talk to um, to, to Cloudflare. There's a couple of oh, things that I really like about this company. A, it's led by founders. Uh, the two founders are still there uh, as CEO and CTO. The other thing I really like about this company is this is a very, very fast and innovative company. So they build products at a very rapid rate, and their first user of their products is the company itself. So, so you know, you build products for your own use, and then you basically sell it. <laughs> so this is a bit Amazonian in, in that style, right, okay. uh, very ambitious company, um, relatively small, not small from an ASX point of view, but relatively small for when you look at international markets, uh, growing at a rapid rate, uh, and the final thing that I really like about this company is that it has a do good mission which is to make the internet better for everyone. Mm-hmm. So if you are a government organization, if you are a, if you are a platform that is providing free services to others like Wikipedia, it provides its services for free
1: oh that's cool I didn't know that that's awesome
3: yeah so so they've got a long tail of customers who are basically free huh. users and then cool. they've got a long tail of customers who are basically paying and they've recently signed their first 10 million um, annual recurring revenue customers so so I think this company is going great guns huh. and this nice. company is going to do really well over the next decade. So I really like this one beautiful what does it go for us? the next the next one is uh, a bit of a flyer uh, because it's an, it's an area that I normally don't play in. It's in. It plays in the area of insurance and the company's name is Lemonade uh, and the code is LMND. Uh, okay. Again, many people may not have heard of this company, but it's an interesting company because what they are doing is they're bringing technology to the area of insurance. And the model they have is you should be able to get insured, say if, you're, if you have a home insurance, if you've got a rental insurance, if you've got a pet insurance to uh, to get, should be able to talk to an AI agent and get mm-hmm. the insurance rather r- rapid, quickly, right? So their, their yeah. idea is that you wanna remove human chain as much as possible, and at least defer only those things to the humans that really require human intervention. The same thing with claims processing. But doesn't stop there. They have another model, and which is also the risk. how they operate the business so basically they're not trying to keep all the profits for themselves they're basically saying we want to keep 25% of essentially the premiums that we generate to ourselves remaining 75% we are basically going to use to reinsure the insurance so they're basically buying reinsurance to cover their expenses uh, or cover their risks to some extent right so they've got only 25% of which they've got to make money off and and they try to motivate their customers by saying that okay any profit that we're actually making a portion of that profit will give to charities of your choice so they've got a feel good do good purpose to the business combined with use of technology in an area which you know here's the interesting thing about insurance insurance is a big 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 industry but even the biggest player probably controls a very small percentage of the market so it's very fragmented in that sense The biggest risk, as I said, is it depends on reinsurance, and there are only a few different reinsurers in the world. So, um, you know, they are in many ways, uh, the future is tied to some extent how the reinsurers behave uh, in terms of reinsuring the business. So that's a risk, it's a high risk. It's a relatively small business. Um, The next one, again, is a company that people may not have heard of it's a company called Encino again this is another company on which I am so I don't own Lemonade uh, as I said it's a flyer uh, and as much as I like flyers uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I sort of like you know this is a company that I would if, if I were to buy it I would buy a small possession in it not a huge possession right. on it but I tend to buy companies in which I'm can build positions. So they might be risky to the ordinary people or other people, but they don't look risky to me. So it's not yet in that spectrum, but as I said, it's a flyer. I think it can multi-bag handily from here, or it could actually disappoint. Now, Encino is a company that I've been, again, looking to build my position. It's actually a company we hold in a couple of our portfolios as we do uh, for uh, Cloudflare. Uh, Now, Encino is basically a banking software provider. So, they provide essentially think of this as uh, SaaS software, software as a service uh, delivery model, yeah. bank operating system. So, how do you enable, awesome. you know, manage bank loans, uh, origin of bank loans, how do you, you know, ma- manage customer databases? And most of these things are very archaic in the banking world. And there yeah. are probably what, like 10,000 banks in the world that, you know, could use an upgrade to a newer operating system. So, they're basically the leader here in, in that field. And again, growing steadily, in and again, it sort of goes into the theme that it is attacking using software in an area that has been largely neglected by software and by other people, so it's a great space to be in and and sort of innovate there. Um, It's a nicely run company, again, relatively small, relatively risky. Okay, my last one uh, is, is a surprising one. It's going to be Tesla.
1: Oh, you are going there. Oh. I wondered whether you'd do that. Okay, Tesla. I, well, <laughs> I reckon you did alphabetically just to leave that to last, didn't you? Just to leave us on the edge of our seats.
3: Well, you said alphabetic. That so was your choice. So I
1: just
3: following <laughs> you. Um, yeah, the code for that is TSLA. And, and I, you know, I was actually in, in two minds. I had Mercado Libre before, and then I changed it. And maybe it's going to cost me. So,
1: for your sake, I hope not.
3: Uh, so, so, I was, I was, uh, well, well, if you win, I still win. I own the own the shares, and we have in a couple of different <laughs> okay, portfolios. So, 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 I, I don't mind that um, at all. Uh, plus, you know, if you win, it's, it's still, you know, I just assume I still won, so it's okay. Okay, it's okay. all good. Uh, so, so Tesla. Well, I was hesitant largely because you know it's had such a big run up over the last couple of years, mm. but but you know, then I thought, well, I shouldn't price anchor. Uh, largely for a couple of different reasons one is i think people is still investors do not realize the extent of uh, cash generativeness of this business right mm-hmm. so i think you know they've just hit nearly 500 uh, 500000 you know half a million vehicle deliveries uh, this year and and this was a record quarter with about 180000 or deliveries so if you just analyze that right that mm-hmm. turns out to be about there 730000 Uh, delivery run rate or production run rate, if you will, uh, for next year, right? And and I think they'll be able to do much more. Uh, I'm expecting about maybe easily more than a 50% growth than they have delivered this year. So that is pretty substantial if you think about 50% growth from their current base. (laughs) They're they're already generating cash flow, free cash flow, generated about a billion dollars last quarter. And I'm expecting at least 2 billion-ish this quarter. So, you know, if you, if you just extend that out, you know, $2 billion of free cash flow with that kind of growth, you're probably looking at, you know, $10 plus billion plus of free cash flow. That is pretty substantial. They've also been smart to raise capital. So they basically are now debt-free completely. They've probably got more cash than debt uh, at this point and the free cash flow that's generating, uh, you know, that you just add to it, right? Uh, and, and I think the other thing that people miss is that this business has been investing to grow until this point. Mm. Now, you've got all these fixed assets which are gonna be pumping out stuff now, and you're actually gonna be now making money off it. So that's really the tipping point that's interesting. So that's number one, but I think the other thing people are missing, uh, and people of course will say, well, there's gonna be competition and so on, and and I'm sure there's gonna be competition, but I think the competition, I think rightly or wrongly, is not with Tesla. The other car companies gonna be competing with themselves, which I think is another point people don't think about is, well gm may produce evs they're going to be competing with gm's ice vehicles right. so uh, so the ice being intel combustion engine vehicles so i think that's that's i think something to realize and if you think about the TAM, 80 million vehicles that's a lot and we're still just talking vehicles right mm. the other thing i think people are missing and i think this is really important if people want to think about this is is full self-driving now I know a lot of people get caught up on the name "full self driving" or the name "autopilot." Let's not just get caught up with that. Mm. Think of full self driving right now as just a software suite that does something clever, right? And as the something clever becomes better, more people buy it. Now, as more people buy it, that is just pure 100% margin addition. As your fleet increases <laughs> yeah. and more people attach yeah. to the stuff, this is like gravy. So, so right now. This, this data is sketchy because they don't release this data point that often. Right now, the attach rate is about 25% of new sales. But your vehicle fleet is increasing every year, and 25% could become 30%, and then you could also sell some to the existing fleet. Mm. This is just basically, this is basically AWS, but on speed. Because <laughs> for, for AWS to actually make money, they still need to actually buy computers oh, right. and invest in data centers. This software, this is actually pure software where you have actually written the software, you're improving it. You just have a button to flip and send it to a car, right? Mm -hmm. And right now I reckon what Tesla is really doing, and this is where I think Tesla is different from from Apple, is Tesla is actually continuously going to decrease its price. This is different from actually increasing prices with what Tesla is going for is market share. Right. so just' like going for market share with the key idea that I'm going to be able to sell more software over time and I to be making money there nobody else has the software that they can sell so they are basically host so so I think you know this is really an interesting position to be in um, and I think this is the dynamic people are missing part of the part of the thing the market has probably caught up to it you know it's not hugely expensive it's probably what like 200 times next year's earnings and i'm talking actually i don't know if this company actually has earnings uh but you know you take 200 times earnings with the earnings growing at say 200 percent um it's actually not that expensive if you think about it in that fashion so i think there's a there's still uh, enough hate for this company enough number of people don't like this company there are enough people who hate elon musk uh those are all beautiful co- combinations i like businesses which are absolutely innovative, absolutely fantastic, led by probably the best minds of our time, which people hate, that's the best combination I think you can get, uh, When, you, at least for my style of investing. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go with Tesla this year.
1: Very good, so Big Tin Can, Cloudflare, Lemonade, Encino and Tesla, you're five for five years from 2021. There you go fools, there's 10 companies for free, absolutely for free. Courtesy of Doc and myself at the Monthly Full Money Podcast. We hope that is somewhat useful to your investing in the future. As I said, past performance is no guarantee, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Insert disclaimer here. I answer that actually, by the way, too flippantly. There is a serious detail behind that. We want you to know that, as I said, it shouldn't be considered an entire portfolio, and you should always, uh, as with any stock we talk about, you do your own research and make sure that any ideas we come up with are appropriate for your needs and circumstances. But there's five from each of us that we think have a very good chance of being market beaters over the next five plus. Years, including some old names and some new. So hopefully that's a, a good combination, depending on what, which no matter which stocks you already own and which stocks you might buy. Uh, so again, from me, Amazon, Australian Ethical, Kogan, Mercado Libre and Treasury Wine Estates. And from The Doctor, Big Tin Can, Cloudflare, Lemonade, Encino and Tesla. May we can't finish off a podcast with at least one question from the Motley for Money mailbag. So how about we get stuck into that one I will give all the appropriate social details on Sunday, so stay tuned for that one. But just to to, to finish us off, a question from Aaron. Aaron says, hi, Scott and Doc. I like this, by the way. Earlier in the year, I set myself the goal of learning more about investing as a way of taking advantage of the lockdown. That is some serious work, mate, well done. I did some research and found the Motley Fool best suited my needs and I'm now a subscriber to Share Advisor and Hidden Gems. Well, we can fix that later. Aaron, you can join my full new opportunities. I'll tell you how in a minute. I've been putting aside a little each month and have been enjoying listening to your podcasts and following both of these services online. So far, fairly meager gains, but I'm not too concerned as I'm playing the longer game and I'm enjoying the process. Good man. Now, here's his question, Doc. He says, one question I had was around the seasonality of the ASX. I've only been taking more notice since around March, but I was curious to movements and trends in the ASX over time and wondering how much seasonality plays into ASX market movements, i.e. when is there less activity in the market and does this drive down prices overall? Another way to look at it would be if you strip away the macro, is there a time the ASX is more likely to offer favourable buying conditions, i.e. is it lower in December than in January, for example? I'm pretty sure the answer will be, it depends, but I'm interested in your thoughts. Cheers, Aaron. Now, Let's, not, let's try not say it depends, Doc. Or let's, if we don't do let use different words. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there seasonality in the ASX and how can Aaron take advantage of it?
3: Uh, you know, what I don't know, is <laughs> <It's, it's> my, <laughs> my different word. Well, so there's a couple of things that do, I mean, I know of that happens in the market. One of the thing is, things is there is usually activity, more activity around the end of the quarter, every mm. quarter. Because uh, sometimes every month, actually, towards the end of the month, because um, fund managers, which produce monthly reports, uh, Mm -hmm. are looking to, you know, close things, do things, etc. There's some activity that happens just because of that. Uh, Sometimes end of quarter things happen because some people are reporting end of quarter uh, stuff happens then uh, there's another period which is basically you know 30th June right you know p- people are looking to lock in uh, some losses some gains uh, mostly actually there's a lot of loss harvesting that happens at least I you know if I have to, uh, if I have to close a perennial loser that I've had for like a decade that's exactly <laughs> the time I'm looking for yeah. uh, especially if I've had some gains that year that I need to offset that again so there's there's activity that happens around you know every month and towards the end then The quarterly, another one to important to remember about the quarterly ones is there's quarterly rebalancing for ETFs. Now, you know, it's not negligible. There's a lot of activity that happens because of the ETFs. And there will be some foreshadowed activity because some people would, you know, you, you could always guess that, well, that's company is going to get into the e you know it's one that was an asx 300 is now going to become part of asx 200 some people want to do that trade of you know getting ahead of that trade and things like that and trying to you know be the buyer that's going to sell to the etf and things like that so there's activity around that so those are some that i think are obvious activity points but you know like it all gets blended into usual activities as well Um, i don't know how meaningful It can be uh, to to an individual investor in terms of utilizing that information and doing something with it. Um, I have some doubts about that, but yeah, like I mean, if you want to know, uh, I I think the most obvious one would be the ETFs. I think and and the end of financial year; those are the two I think are by far uh, in my mind probably volume movers.
1: Yeah, no, some doc. I think that's that's absolutely right. I think. my, my first instinct was to go to the, the end of tax year. There's plenty of people who are selling. Um, obviously, as you mentioned, mate, to, to offset a, a loss against a gain, if you're holding something that's down, you've sold something already that's up, uh, you have gotta pay tax unless you can find a way to offset it. And offsetting it by selling a loser is one way to do it. So often you get actually bargains um, at, at around June 30, because if you've got people selling a loser, but you like it, uh, you may find, particularly small cap or, or less liquid stocks can move more violently in the last few days of the, the financial year as people get out of that stock, particularly as if it's down, because it's tax loss harvesting by definition. So if a lot of people lost money on it, they're trying to sell it out to get rid of it. Um, the tax loss is often worth more to them than a couple of cents in the share price. So you do need to get more exaggerated movements there. It's also worth saying though, mate, uh, also I thought another one actually before I do. Um, it, 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 History is a funny thing. So, uh, well actually I wanna, I'll, I'll, go to the, I'll go to the point point. I'll come back. So arbitrage is the, is the point I was gonna make, which is effectively there's any value there. There are enough computers and enough investors around effectively arbitrage away most of those opportunities. So if you think about, it, again, tax loss selling, well, if everyone's going to do it, someone's going to take advantage of it and vice versa. It's only going to get a meaningful imbalance that you actually end up with that scenario. There used to be a saying in the markets, it came from the UK, sell in May and go away. And then the, the bit that people forget is come back on Ledger's Day, which I think is I think it's September, I can't remember. Exactly, it might be November. In any case, at one point during, when it went in, in less... Uh, Let's hype our 24-7 times. Um, May to September was, guess what? It was the summer se- season in Northern Hemisphere. So if you're in the UK or the US, there are fewer people around, uh, fewer buyers because they're all off at the Hamptons or wherever they go in, in Europe, maybe off to... I don't know, where do they go in Europe for summer holidays? Talk Spain, I suppose, don't they? Greece, maybe. So they're off doing that. Greece, um, Greece. And in- <laughs> In theory, that meant there was less buyers in the market. And so that was, you know, you're supposed to sell in May and go away, come back later when prices would go back up. And of course, what happens? Well, people expect that. So I guess when you go and buy, you go and buy in May and that offsets that fall. The same thing used to be called, do you remember the January effect, Doc? So it used to be a thing called the January effect. And that was a kind of a big deal. Uh, and then the January effect quickly became the Santa Claus rally because people tried to front run the January effect by buying in December, thereby creating the Santa Claus rally. And then this year we didn't have a Santa Claus rally. Guess what? We had a bump in November. <laughs> now maybe it was COVID, or maybe it was people trying to front-run the Santa Claus rally by buying in November, and so on and so on and so forth. So look, I, I think to Doc's point, trying to as a as a retail investor benefit from this when the impacts are relatively small. Um, honestly i i you know waiting waiting six months for a two percent decline in the market uh you know given the average market returns about 10 percent a year you probably give up more in gains waiting for the time to buy all else being equal and again whether it actually happens in a given year you're looking for whether it doesn't happen that year but happens in other years something happens six or seven years out of ten is not going to happen three or four years out of ten um it's it's interesting and it's kind of intellectually stimulating but as an investor I, i i see almost no value in trying to worry about it. Doc, would you agree?
3: Oh, I do do agree. Yes.
1: There we go. Fools, that will do it for this episode of Motley Fool Money. But as I mentioned to Aaron and of course, his fellow listeners who are keen to find the best market beating opportunities they can, I recommend Aaron as well as Share Advisory Hidden Gems, which I'm very pleased, very thankful you've bought. Why don't you add Motley Fool Extreme Opportunities to your foolish cadre of wonderful investment services that are destined we hope, we aim, we try to make you money from. You can do that very, very easily by going to a special episode podcast episode link, let me spit that out, which is fool.com.au forward slash, surprise, surprise, E-O podcast. That's right, fool.com.au forward slash E-O podcast, and you get a very special price to join the, what, what phrase do we have to use, Doc? It's been a few weeks, was it... Um, uh, valuable but inexpensive. What are we, what are we great, great it's, value? It's, what are we supposed it's, to
3: say? It's great value, inexpensive. Um, it's anything but cheap.
1: There you go. So you've got it straight from the horse's mouth. Doc and Kevin do their absolute best to bring you the best socks they can find. And by the way, they're doing a spectacular job of it thus far. So if you aren't already, please consider joining them and Aaron, because Aaron's going to join soon, I'm sure, at fool.com.au forward slash e-o podcast. Mate, that wraps us up for the first podcast recorded in the new year, if not the first one to go to air in the new year. And before we go, don't forget, you, shan- you can and should, as a new year's resolution, Subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast, do it through iTunes, do it through the favourite Android podcast app or the Podcast One app, which is sensational. And if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review, leave us some stars, five would be lovely as Doc's already mentioned, and why wouldn't you? We're worth 10, so five is a a small price to pay, in fact it doesn't cost you anything. But it helps other people find the podcast, including your family and friends, and also people you haven't yet become friends with, but who may hopefully... Join our merry band of fools. And of course, don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness by going to fool.com.au forward slash.
3: Triple M.
1: Triple M. And you can get some some, uh, offers and some marketing straight to your inbox plus the occasional email from me. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back on Sunday with a very full Foolish mailbag of
2: Foolish Insight. Full on. Full on.